Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Well, Sister Jolene is going to help me out with some PowerPoint slides, so if we get a little out of order, that's okay. <laughs> just, um, just go with it. So this morning I want to preach about Grace 101, just basics. And you might be like, what can I learn about grace that I don't already know? Well, maybe you won't learn anything that you don't already know. And that's okay because going over the basics is important. Amen. It's how, it, it's a, I mean, I'm into education, obviously. So, But it's a valid educational principle and it comes from the Bible. In the Shema, that, you know, you're supposed to repeat these things to your children and it's not just for the children's sake (laughs) it's for your own sake as well to remember that so this is what we're going to talk about today is grace the gift of grace so I ask you would you describe yourself as graceful (laughs) see some smiles there (laughs) Um, now I wish I could tell you that I had the utmost poise But every time I walked into a room, people would think I'm floating through the air like a ballerina. Most of you know me. Natalie's laughing at me. (laughs) Most of you know me, and you know that's definitely not me. I'm actually a bit of a klutz, so I'm not graceful. Um, But there's a more important way in which a person can be graceful or full of grace, okay? And that is to allow the grace of God to fill your life. So... What is the grace of God? There's an important question. If you've never asked that, well, let's talk about that today. You know, and we often throw the term around. We sung it quite a few times this morning, actually, and we don't even really think about what does it mean. Um, And then there's a nice little kind of summation of the difference between grace and mercy, and you can maybe quote it along with me. Um, Grace is receiving what we do not deserve, while mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. Okay, Um, But, you know, we can kind of parrot that. But sometimes we gloss over just how amazing grace really is. And we forget about its true cost. So we're going to talk about that this morning. I love that phrase up there. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Think about that for a while. Grace is everything, costs nothing, and it's for us who don't deserve anything. Well, it does cost something, but it's free for us. And so we could never have done anything good enough or earned enough to be able to pay for what God offers us so freely. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Some people have said that grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. So because of the price that Christ paid, we are able to experience all of the riches of God. Think about that for a moment. We can experience all of God's riches because of what he has done for us. I love this quote too. Grace is, is God meeting man where he is in order to bring man to where God is. What a privilege that is to be able to come into his presence. So grace is an active demonstration of the unconditional love of God. But what I love about it, it doesn't meet us just to leave us in the same condition that it found us in. So it it doesn't just merely overlook our deficiencies and our shortcomings, but he meets us where we are, in our sin, in our weakness, in our immaturity, in order to transform us and to conform us into his image. And I, for one, am grateful of that because I don't want to stay the same. (laughs) You know, sometimes you look at yourself and you go, oh my goodness, I must be the most selfish person in the world. I don't want to stay that way. I want to be able to change. 
Sorry, maybe that's just me. (laughs) All right, so I want you to imagine that you're being sent to preach the gospel in a developing country. And on your journey, you meet a leper. And we're going to get a picture of that up in a moment. God whispers in your ear, go and kiss him on the cheek. Repulsed, you look at that deformed face that's been eaten away with disease. The oozing sores, the hole where the nose once was. Kind of dry wretch. And you think, God, you've got to be kidding me. I could never do that. But isn't that just what God has done for us? When you think about it, he should have been so repulsed by our sin and our filth that he just left us to die. That's what he should have done. But instead, he reached out his hand, he touched our open wounds, and he pulled us close into his embrace. And I'm sorry, I am going to get emotional this morning. I feel like I always do that when I come. But when you stop and think about grace, stop and think about what he has done for us, it should cause a response in us, a thankfulness for what he's done. Hallelujah. You know... God wasn't attracted to us because of our beauty or our wealth or our intelligence. (laughs) Compared to him, we don't have any of that. It doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) There was nothing about us that was even the least bit desirable. But seen through the eyes of grace, we were the most beautiful creature that God had ever laid eyes on. He wanted us so much that he was willing to give everything to make us his. How beautiful, how beautiful our God is. Well, of course, back in the the beginning, we once were his. God created Adam and Eve, and he spent every evening walking with them in the garden. Now, you know what? God really enjoyed having conversations with them. He really loved that. He was delighted at their excited discoveries at all the good things that he provided for them. He took joy when they're Wow, this fruit is amazing. He went, I created that for you. He reveled in their very presence as they drew close to him in an evening. And life was perfect. And Adam and Eve literally had everything they needed. Literally everything. But somehow they grew discontented with what they had. And they made a choice to disobey God. So once sin entered their lives, it ruined everything that was good. Their bodies began to age and decay. Amen. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Um, The ground started growing thorns and thistles. The sun beat down upon them and made work difficult. I'm sure that's when snow was created. I hate cold weather. (laughs) Um, Sin created a vast chasm that separated not just Adam and Eve, but every single person who has ever lived from the abiding presence of God. It's it's almost crazy to think about. Because of the rebellion of one person, all of humanity became broken, destined for death and judgment. And if you uh, go into the next slide, Romans 5, 18 to 19 says it this way. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Thank God. (laughs) 
thank God that he made a way for us. Now, on the next slide, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Okay? You sin, the result, you die. (laughs) Sin equals death. Wages of sin is death. But the only way we can have life, this verse tells us, it's the gift of God through Jesus Christ. He's God's gift to us. Now, I love this. If someone is dead, there is no way they can bring themselves back to life. Okay, that makes sense, right? So Jack Wellman put it this way. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what did Lazarus contribute to it? Nothing. The answer is nothing. Jesus didn't go into Lazarus's tomb and ask Lazarus if he'd help him to, to be raised. Jesus didn't say, okay, Lazarus, if you move a finger, I'll do the rest. Um, if you blink your eye, it'll show me you really want to be raised from the dead. Oh, okay. If you really, really want to be raised from the dead, at least do something. No, Lazarus had nothing to do with it. He was dead. He couldn't do anything. And in the epistles, Paul tells us we were dead in trespasses and sins. What does that tell us? We can do nothing. Nothing about it. (laughs) But we have been made alive in Christ and saved by grace. God is the one who has given us life. He has caused us to defeat death. This is not something that we could ever accomplish on our own. I I think that's pretty obvious. (laughs) We could never do it. Even, you know, sometimes we think we're pretty good. Mm -mm. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. (laughs) God knows humans pretty well. (laughs) Because if it was of works, we would start to think we could do it on our own. Um, And as humans, sometimes we can be tempted to think that if we just do enough good works, we will make it into heaven. Okay, this is impossible, sorry. (laughs) Blow your theology wide there. This is impossible. Um, Now, please please understand, Brother Simon, I'm not trying to peddle dodgy theology or false doctrine. He can correct anything I say (laughs) afterwards. Um, Don't stone me. But I'm about to tell you a joke. And now I want you to know, I don't really believe that St. Peter is waiting up at the pearly gates for us to get in, okay? to let people into heaven. But this joke here, I think, sums up how pointless it is for us to try to earn our way into heaven by doing all the right things. If you can get the next slide up. Um, It's called Heaven's Entrance Exam. A man died and went to heaven. Of course, St. Peter met him at the pearly gates. Peter said, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points for each item, depending on how good it was. When you reach 100 points, you get in. Oh, okay, the man said. Well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and I never cheated on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful, said Peter. Um, That's worth three points. Three points, said the man. Well... Um, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my ties and service. Terrific, said Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point? Well, I started a soup kitchen in my city and I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. 
Fantastic. That's good for two more points, said Peter. Two points, the man cried. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Bingo. hundred points. Come on in. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but think about it. <laughs> That's how all our good works, all our righteousness, it, it can't get us even remotely close to where we need to get to. So if you can go to the next slide. So trying to get to heaven under our own power is kind of like trying to scale that wall there using one hand while strapped into a wheelchair whose wheels are set fast in concrete. (laughs) Anyone think they're strong enough to do that? (laughs) There's no possible way that we can do it, no matter how long we try. And this is why we need God's grace. The Apostle Paul tells us there is none righteous, not even one. That means right now there is not one righteous person in the entire 7.4 billion people currently living on this planet. You'd think with odds like that, at least there'd be one, right? (laughs) Nope, there weren't any now and there weren't any in his day. Paul of all people should know. He said this about himself in Philippians 3, 4 to 6. He said, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's a pretty bold statement. Now, there were actually 313 commands in the Torah. So if you transgressed one of those 613 laws you are a transgressor of the law. He said he was blameless. Could you imagine having 613 rules and being able to say, I've kept every one of them. Wouldn't it take you all day just to kind of go, oh, oh no, that rule's wrong. Like, oh, oh no, I just, I just sneezed twice when I should only have done it once, you know? There's so many different things. He said he was blameless. He'd done everything right. But in the very next verse in the Bible, he says he counted it, all of it as loss. All this stuff I did that was right, so what? (laughs) He even called it dung. That's all he considered it as. It wasn't even valuable to him. So that he might attain the resurrection of the dead. All of his righteous works, excuse the crude analogy, was just like excrement in a toilet bowl. Only fit to be flushed down the drain. Because none of that could give him eternal life. That which he had spent his whole life working for, worthless (laughs) I can't do it God I need your grace I can't do it and I love this because even though that was all worthless he gives us hope in Romans 3 21 to 24 and part of that is up on the screen there but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, but you notice that there's an opportunity for all to be justified. He doesn't just leave us there, all have sinned. You guys are so far beyond what I want. You can just stay there. Mm -mm. He's like, I'm offering you freedom. I'm offering you justice. Not justice, but mercy, but grace. 
And if you go to the next slide, I really love this um, quote here. I'm a big one for slipping quotes into sermons. Um, And this is from a book I have not read it, but I would like to. It seems very interesting. um, By an author called Jerry Bridges, The Discipline of Grace. And I just love this. It leapt out at me. It said, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Your worst days aren't that bad. God can always reach you. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. No matter how good we are, we still need God's grace. So the point of this good day, bad day comparison is this. Regardless of our performance, we are always dependent on God's grace. (laughs) Always. His undeserved favor to those who deserve his wrath. Some days we may be more acutely conscious of our sinfulness and hence more aware of our own need for grace, but there is never, never a day when we can stand before him on our own two feet of performance when we are worthy enough to deserve his blessing. (laughs) What a great God. (laughs) He knows we will never be worthy. You know, sometimes when you're like training people, you train them up because like one day they'll be able to do this. (laughs) He must be like, you know, they'll never do that, but (laughs) keep coming anyway. (laughs) We'll keep working with you. Um, All right, if you go to the next slide. Have you ever heard the saying, there but for the grace of God go I? And usually you're looking at (laughs) someone whose life's in pretty much a mess, um, not doing well, and you just go, you know what? That could have been me. But thank God for his grace, because that's not me. That's what that saying means. Now, grace is expensive. It's free to the recipient, but it is very costly to the giver. And that happens whether it's God offering grace or whether it's us offering grace to someone else. It's always, it always costs someone something. Not the person who gets it, but the person who gives it. Now, some may insult grace, they may reject it, trample on it, or disgrace it, but that doesn't lower its infinite value. Even if it's rejected, it doesn't matter. Grace is still worth the same. God's grace was the most expensive thing that has ever been paid for. And it was paid for by Jesus' own life. It was free for us, but it was the ultimate expense for God. It cost him everything everything. And as that old song says, he paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. God's nature is holy and righteous and because of that, he demands that that nature demands that transgressions must be punished. So, and we can see this in the natural, the law. There are always consequences for our actions. Children who misbehave quite often find that. (laughs) Always consequences for their actions. And um, sometimes we find that too. (laughs) When we misbehave, we have consequences. But fortunately for us, God was the one who stepped forward and he was punished in our place. He bore the stripes that we deserved. He was bruised and pierced in our place because of his sacrifice, because of his grace. We didn't get what we so richly deserved, but we instead got the opposite. What an amazing God. And, and I often think this is, this is kind of beyond human understanding. 
when you think about the fact that there's people who will spit in God's face until their dying day, but Jesus still offers them grace. He knows they're not going to change. He can see the future. But he still says, you know what? My grace is available. Repent, turn around, come to me. Someone was spitting in my face. I don't think I could do that. I'd be like, okay, no more grace for you. <laughs> Leave me alone now. <laughs> but yeah, God, he still gives them grace, the opportunity to be forgiven and to live in eternity with him. You know, if someone's wronged you, it's not very often that you want them, <laughs> their company. <laughs> you kind of want to avoid them as much as possible. But God says, you know what? Come to me. I'll give you grace. I actually want to be with you. No matter what you've done, I still want to be with you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound <laughs> that saved a wretch like me. So because of grace, Jesus gave his life so that we would not have to die. And I'm thankful for that today. Now, here in this country, thank God, we have freedom from war. Now, this isn't because we as a nation deserved it. <laughs> We're not holier than other nations, obviously, <laughs> looking at our world. Um, but we have freedom because it was fought for and won by the lives of thousands of fellow Australians. And um, this is what we celebrate on Anzac Day. Um, so the cost of freedom is high. But we often forget this because we're not the ones who had to pay the price, <laughs> you know? Um, but if you speak to a war widow or if you speak to a returned serviceman who came back from the front lines maimed or suffering from PTSD, you're going to begin to understand its value. It, it cost them something to have what we have. And we are saved because of their sacrifice. But there's a sacrifice that's even greater than this. Because freedom on this earth is only temporary. But Jesus, through the sacrifice of his life, won eternal freedom for every man, woman, and child who ever has or ever will live on this earth. And it's not just one nation or one generation of people, but freedom for everyone. That's awesome. I love the fact that there's no expiry date on God's grace. It's like, okay, we've had 2,000 years now. Like, that's, I'm done. <laughs> no, people still getting born. God's still offering grace. So I'm proud to be an Aussie, but I have to admit that there is another country to which I want to belong. People are like, okay, Nat's looking at me. <laughs> so it's not the US, you'll be pleased to know. But I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And it's only through grace that we're given the opportunity to be granted citizenship in heaven. And in some ways, being granted citizenship there is a, a little similar to being granted citizenship in a foreign country. So let's just imagine that I wanted to become an American citizen. Not a defector, Natalie. It's okay. This is an imagine. Um, so I was born in Australia to Australian parents. So there's absolutely no reason why America would be compelled to allow me to become a citizen. I mean, really, I've got nothing to do with them. I don't belong to their country. Um, I have absolutely no legal basis or claim for that right. None of my descendants are American. Um, but there is a process whereby I can become an American citizen. So I jumped onto the US Immigration Services website and it says this, and I think it's kind of a, you can make the linkages between what we're talking about. It says, deciding to become a US citizen is one of the most important decisions in an individual's life. 
If you decide to become a US citizen, you will be showing your commitment to the United States and your loyalty to its constitution. In return, you are rewarded with all the rights and privileges that are a part of US citizenship. Sounds similar to heaven, doesn't it? (laughs) Maybe, I'll try to tease that out a little more. So anyone is able to apply for US citizenship, but not everyone will become a US citizen. Just because you apply doesn't mean you're going to get it. So you have to fill out probably a bunch of paperwork. (laughs) Um, There's requirements that have to be met. If I decide to do this, I have to agree to show loyalty to and abide by the laws of that land. If I'm granted citizenship, I have to continue to do what is right towards others and obey the law. And if I don't live in the manner that's prescribed by the U.S., I'm going to be deported to my home country and told, don't come back. Okay? I can't go there and go, well, in Australia, we drive on the right side of the road, so (laughs) which side do we drive on? I have real trouble with my left and right, so (laughs) we drive on the left side of the road. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) the other side of the road. So, so, you know, but I can't do that. I can't go, well, I come from Australia, so I'm just going to continue driving on the side of the road that I normally drive on. Okay, that's, (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble pretty quick. They go, no, you're a US citizen. You do what we say. Well, God has some rules. We can't just go, you know what? I don't like that rule. Okay, the law doesn't go, oh, that's fine. You don't like that rule? Nah, don't worry. Just don't worry about it. Mm -mm. You'll end up in jail or deported if you try to do it overseas. So the offer of citizenship is an offer of grace. I don't deserve it and I can't do enough good works to be declared a citizen and allowed to enter the country. Now, who here has heard of Mother Teresa? Everybody, pretty much, yeah? She's arguably the most well-known good uh, Samaritan in world history, in recent world history. And in 1996, she was awarded with honorary US citizenship because of her tireless service and commitment to the greater good. But this citizenship was merely symbolic it didn't confer any rights or privileges on her. So Mother Teresa, for all the good that she did, for the fact we know who she is in a country she never lived in, one woman, she was never a US, a real US citizen. Why is that? She never applied for US citizenship. <laughs> so she wasn't eligible to vote in the US elections or receive social security. So she may have done a lot of good works, but it didn't make her a citizen of America. It's the same way with us in the kingdom of heaven. God offers us the opportunity to become a citizen, but good works are not the way that we can get in there. It's not the way. We have to apply if we wish to become part of God's kingdom. So we have to accept and apply God's grace to our lives in order to receive those rights and privileges that come along with our citizenship in heaven. But it also means accepting the rules that he sets if I want to stay a citizen. I hate to tell you this, but once saved, always saved is not a biblical principle. (laughs) We have to keep doing what God has asked of us if we want to stay a citizen of heaven. So if we can go to the next slide. Um, So I hope I've built the case enough now so it's clear that our own works can never earn grace. Because think about it, grace that is earned is not truly grace. It's what you're due. 
But just because grace is freely given doesn't mean we can do what we want and still experience it. So I want to talk a little bit of background here. And you're like, what on earth is this? Why is that up there? So um, in the first century world in which the New Testament was written, the influence of the Greco-Roman culture pervaded that first century world. So that's Greek and Roman influences on the Jewish influences. So Roman society in particular was dependent on the client-patron relationship. So (laughs) lovely little picture here. So the patron there is the one giving the money. He possessed great wealth, power, and prestige. So he would operate as the protector, sponsor, and benefactor of the client, the one with his hand out, um, who was usually from an inferior social class. So this is the way that the world worked back then. You would have someone, if you were from an inferior social class, you would try to find a patron who would help you out. Um, and in return, so, so when this happened, it allowed the patron to give the client access to goods, entertainment, and advancement. So it enabled them to have a better life. And so the client who received the benefit, he also had an obligation. He couldn't pay for it. He didn't have the money or the social status. But he accepted the obligation to spread the fame of the giver and to declare gratitude for the patron's gifts. So he also accepted the obligation of loyalty and service to the patron. The patron freely offered the client what he had, but in return, he expected the client to show his appreciation and to do what the patron asked. So the client didn't earn the patron's favor. He just accepted the gift, but in accepting the gift, he had to accept the obligation to respond to the giver in appropriate ways. So God is our loving patron. He has all the status and all the money and all the ability to give us what we need. And so as a loving patron, God will bless and give grace to those who support and obey him. That's how it works. But on the other hand, like the ancient patrons, people who are proud and arrogant, they won't get the blessings from God that they could otherwise have received because they're not willing to do what the patron has asked of them. So in the Old Testament, how it used to work, that loyal service was to be fulfilled through benevolence to their fellow Israelites. So in other words, because God had been so generous to them, God expected them to be generous and exhibit justice in their human relationships. That makes sense. And in the New Testament, it's very similar. But we're not only called to honor God, but to show love, generosity, and loyal service towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. (laughs) This doesn't always come naturally to us. Um, (laughs) But grace gives us that power to live Christian lives and to do what God requires of us. Thank God for his grace. (laughs) We can't even do what we're supposed to do to say thank you for it without his grace. He gives us everything we need. And so um, if you could pop up the next slide, I apologize, this is the NASB version, but I think it makes it a little... Um, clearer perhaps it gives us an outline of how we should live if we want to please God it says for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires so that's the first thing let's get rid of that stuff and to live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. 
So although we can't achieve salvation through our own works, we can follow these these guidelines, but we can't earn grace or salvation through doing that. It's only of grace, otherwise people would boast. But it's God's desire and design that we do good works. Amen. That's Bible. I'm sorry. (laughs) That is Bible. So what sort of good works does God desire? I'm sure we could go through and and name a bunch. (laughs) As pastor and pastor's wife, I'm sure there's many good works you could (laughs) exhort for your congregation. (laughs) Um, But one thing, and and yes, there are many things. I'm not obviously going to cover the whole gamut of, of what is a good work. But if you go to the next slide, grace is actually explicitly linked to the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, the fivefold ministry is a gift of grace to the church to equip it so that it can build up the body of Christ. And 1 Peter 4 and 10 exhorts us, as each one has received a gift, each one has received a gift, so no one here is excluded, we've all received one, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So keep in mind that a steward is just a manager. A steward isn't an owner. We don't originate these things within ourselves. But God has given us these gifts that we will use them for the sake of building up the kingdom. This is a good work. Have you ever thought about it that way? (laughs) It's for eternal purposes. What better work could there be to build up the body of Christ, to edify it? So Christian service doesn't come from our own self-effort. It's only possible through God's enabling power. He helps us to do it. So grace has, God has given us his grace for the specific purpose of giving it out to others. And if you'll pop the next slide on. Uh, Author Lisa Turkhurst said this, I give grace because I so desperately need it. (laughs) I give grace because I so desperately need it. Just as God will forgive us only as we forgive others, that's biblical, so he will only give us grace as we show grace to others. And this can be extremely difficult. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Especially if we feel like the one we're called to give grace to doesn't deserve it. And to us, sometimes that doesn't feel like grace. It feels like injustice. (laughs) Have you ever been there? God, but they said this and did that. That's not just. Why do I have to show grace? Well, what did God do for us? While we were sinners, (laughs) that's what he did. So, but when God offers that grace to us, we seem to think it's our God-given right. Well, of course he's going to show me grace. Okay, <laughs> what are you doing? Are you showing grace? Are you being Christ-like? This next slide, uh, it's by a scholar called Bob Deffenbaugh. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. But this is such a challenging quote. Did you ever stop to realize that grace can only be shown where sin has occurred? We can only be gracious to others when they have sinned against us. Oh, (laughs) I don't like that much. That is necessary by virtue of the definition of grace. Grace is not only undeserved, but it's the opposite of what is deserved. Justice is served when the evildoer is punished, but grace is granted when the evildoer is forgiven at the expense of the victim. If we are to show grace to others, the only opportunity we have to do so is when they sin against us. Giving grace is difficult. 
often the one who seems to deserve grace the least is the one who needs it the most. And I'm going to repeat that because that's worth thinking about for a second. Often the one who seems to deserve grace the least is the one who needs it the most. In our own strength, we can't do this. (laughs) We're not designed to do that. But if you go to the next slide, I love this. Grace changes everything. Grace has the power to transform our lives. It has the power to change our eternal destiny. It has the power to bring us into a right relationship with God and with our fellow believers. God, our all-powerful patron, has given us all the grace that we will ever need, not just for ourselves, but to give out to others as well. He's promised to give us everything we need. That includes in situations where we go, God, I can't do this on my own. But he's promised to provide our needs. And, and sometimes I think we get caught up with, God, uh, my needs are this, I need this. <laughs> I need a bigger house and I need a bigger car. And No, God, I need your grace to help me to show grace to others. In response to God's free giving to us, we are called to honour him by serving our brothers and sisters and to living lives that are marked not only by receiving that grace from God, but also giving it out to others especially those who don't deserve it. I think that's the true definition of grace. It's how the world knows that we are citizens of God's kingdom. So if we go back to our original question, would you describe yourself as graceful? Would you describe yourself as graceful? Perhaps more importantly, would other people describe you as graceful, as someone who is so full of grace that it overflows others, even the ones who have hurt them. Now, I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and I'm going to perhaps end this a little differently. Um, I'm kind of going to give the altar call before I'm finished talking. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to tell you a story that was written by a man named Michael Bronson. And for me personally, I feel like it's probably the most powerful explanation of grace that I've ever heard. I'll probably cry again, so (laughs) just bear with that. (laughs) Um, But as I tell this story, I want you to respond as you feel God leading you. So if you want to come to the front while I'm talking, that is (laughs) a-okay. So I want you to be free to do that. So perhaps you've never understood the need for grace before. But, But maybe I've said something today and you're like, you know what, I need that. I need that in my own life. Maybe you want to experience that for the first time, and that's quite okay. God is waiting for you to to show you that grace. If you want to come to the front and tell God you're sorry for what you've done, just allow Jesus' death on the cross to pay for your sins so you can be saved from death and hell. If that's you, just come while I'm telling this story. Just come to the front. Just start talking to God about how you feel. You know, maybe, maybe you've been in the church for a while. And as I've spoken, you've realized that you're not living a life that's full of grace. Or, you know, maybe you're feeling conviction about how you've treated someone else. And if so, I also want you to come to the front. You can repent for that. You can receive God's grace right now. And lastly, maybe you don't have any real need, but you just want to come and say thank you, God, for what you have done. But the grace, the gift of grace in taking the punishment that was rightfully ours. And if you feel to do that, just join the others in making your way to the altar. 
And I think it would be good for all of us to respond because grace demands a response to be thankful for who God is and what he has done for us. The boy stands defiantly with his head cocked back and his hands clenched. Go ahead, give it to me. I can take it. The principal looks down at the young rebel. How many times have you been here? The child sneers rebelliously. Huh, apparently not enough. The principal gives the boy a strange look and says, you've been punished each time, haven't you? Yeah, I've been punished. That's what you want to call it. He throws out his small chest and says, go ahead. I can take whatever you can dish out. I always have. Carefully studying the boy's face, the principal says, are there any thoughts of punishment when you break these rules? Nope, I do whatever I want. Ain't nothing you people going to do to stop me, neither. The principal looks over at the teacher who's sitting nearby and asks, what did he do this time? He was fighting. He took little Tommy and shoved his face into the sandbox. The principal turns to look at the boy and asks, why? What did little Tommy do to you? Nothing. I don't like the way he was looking at me. Just like I don't like the way you're looking at me right now. In fact, if I thought I could do it, I'd shove your face into something. The teacher stiffens and starts to rise, but a quick look from the principal stops him. He contemplates the child for a moment and then quietly says, Today, my young student, is the day you will learn about grace. Grace? Isn't that what you old people do before you eat a meal? I don't need any of your stinking grace. Oh, but you do, says the principal. After studying the boy's face, he whispers, Oh, yes, you truly do need grace. The boy glared as the principal continued. Grace, in its short definition, is unmerited favor. You can't earn grace, my child. Grace is a gift and it's always freely given. Grace means you will not be getting what you so richly deserve. The boy looks puzzled. You're not going to whip me? You're just going to let me walk? The principal looks down at the unyielding child and says, Yes, I'm going to let you walk. The boy studies the face of the principal and says, No punishment at all? You're not going to punish me even though I socked Tommy and shoved his face into the sandbox? Oh, there has to be punishment. What you did was wrong. And there will always be consequences for our actions. There will be punishment. Grace is not an excuse for doing wrong. <laughs> I knew it, sneered the boy. Holding out his hands, he says, let's get on with it. The principal nods toward the teacher and says, bring me the belt. The teacher presents the belt to the principal. He carefully folds it in two and hands it back to the teacher. He looks at the child and says, I want you to count the blows. The principal slides out from behind his desk and walks over to the child. The child stands defiantly with his hands outstretched. The principal gently moves the child's expectant hands down to his sides. Turning to the teacher, the principal stretches out his own hands and quietly says, begin. The belt slaps against the principal's outstretched hands. The young boy jumps. Shock registers across his face. One, he whispers. Two, 
His voice raises an octave. Three, he is unable to believe what is happening. Four, big tears well up in the eyes of the young rebel. Okay, stop, that's enough, stop! The bell continues to come down on the principal's swollen hands. The child flinches with each blow. Tears start streaming down the child's face. No, please, the former rebel begs. Stop, I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who deserves the punishment. Stop, please, stop. The boy sobs. Still the blows come. Finally, it is over. The principal with sweat glistening across his forehead turns to the former rebel and kneels down, carefully cradling the child's face with his swollen hands. The principal softly says, This, my boy, is grace.